Hi, and welcome to the third installment of the Title Block Live for May 7th, 2020. I am your host, Michael Cruz, and this week we take all of your questions about costume design and everything that's involved with that. And uh, thanks a, f- a bunch for finding us this week. Uh, if to make sure you find us next week, please click the subscribe button there on the Title Blocks uh, Live's uh, YouTube thing. The thing, the button, the button below. Just press subscribe. Just press it. Uh, before I introduce our guests, I wanted to point everyone to thetitlelock.com, where you can find interviews as well as linked show notes to many of the guests we'll have uh, on the Tuttle Block Live. Several people I have interviewed uh, tonight. Uh, and now let me uh, introduce you to our remarkable guests. Uh, first, um, originally from Mexico City, Carmen Alatore earned her MFA degree, and she'll tell me if that is pronounced correctly because I didn't check with her. Yes. Uh, earned her MFA degree in theater design at UBC and has worked as a theater designer in Vancouver since 2006. Some of her recent design credits include Peter and the Starcatcher, Top Dog, Underdog, and Mustard from Arts Club Theater, Pericles, The Witcher's Tale, As You Like It, and All's Well That Ends Well at Bard on the Beach, which, we, which we've talked about on the podcast many times, Cinderella at The Globe, As You Like It at Royal Manitoba Theater Center, Citadel Theater, Anywhere But Here, Electric Company, Carmen, is the recipient of three Jesse Richardson Theater Awards. And for more information, you can find her website at uh, CarmenAlatore.com, and that'll be in the show notes. Carmen, welcome to the Title Block Live. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Hello to everyone. All right. Uh, Nancy Bryant uh, calls Vancouver her home. She works primarily as a costume designer. Recent uh, design credits for dance include works with Crystal Pite uh, and, uh, and her team, uh, Reviser, Kid Pivot, Angels Atlas at the National Ballet of Canada, and the Zurich Ballet. Uh, Zurich Ballet, maybe. Uh, Body and Soul, Paris Opera, and Palais Garnier. Uh, Partita at the Netherlands Dance Theatre. Recent design for theatre include uh, Kim Collier, um, Full Light and Day at the Banff Centre, Vancouver Playhouse and Canadian Stage, uh, and The Overcoat, the Opera at Tapestry Can Stage and Van Opera, and Fidelio at Pacific Opera Victoria. And of course, she works on film off and on. Uh, Nancy, welcome to the Title Block Live. Hello. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be here. And David Hello. Beckler. <laughs> Hello, Nancy. <laughs> David Beckler has been a set and costume designer, uh, and I've known him for many years, um, uh, for over 25 years, in fact, uh, for theater, dance, and opera, with a focus lately on musical theater. He's also had an extensive experience in audience engagement activations in the corporate world, uh, film and television production, and he took a few years to run the fine art department in an auction house. David Beckler, welcome to the title block. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Uh, Sabrina Miller. We have so many guests this week. Sabrina Miller is a set and costume and puppet designer who came to Montreal from the West Coast. She uses her skill of combining symbolism and costume design to create the full spectrum of large-scale musicals with hundreds of costumes to intimate new works and site-specific shows. Sabrina, welcome to the Tablock Live. Hi, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Sean Mulcahy is a Toronto-based costume and set designer, uh, a graduate of York University, uh, and a past regional rep for the Associated Designers of Canada. Sean has worked across North America, most recently designing costume for the Canadian premiere of Bend It Like Beckham in the musical in Toronto. Uh, Bend It Like Beckham, the musical, not like Bend It Like Beckham in the musical in Toronto. Sean Mulcahy, welcome to the Title Block Live. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Dana Osborne is a set and costume designer based in Stratford, Ontario. She was just about to start her 20th season, my goodness, uh, at, with the Stratford Festival, designing costumes for Chicago. God, oh, 
we've got to see that. The new Daniel McIver and Steve Page musical, Here's What It Takes, number two hit of the world, and Morris Panitch's Frankenstein Revive. That sounds like a great season. Uh, Dana Osborne, welcome to the Title Block Live. Hello, thank you for having me. April Visco is a past president of Associated Designers of Canada. Uh, she currently is the project lead at the World Stage Design 2021 and a professor at the University of Calgary. Uh, she resides in Calgary, works for theaters regionally and nationally, and she's also a mother of a precocious six-year-old boy. April, welcome to the Title Block Live. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Awesome. Ming Wong is a Toronto costume designer, stylist, and wardrobe technician. She has worked on a variety of projects ranging from dance, theater, film, and television, and is designed across the city and beyond for companies such as the Canadian Opera Company, Citadel Theater, Can Stage, Crows Theater, Nightwood Theater, Factory Theater, Obsidian Theater, and the Modern Times Stage Company. Ming, welcome to the Tuttle Block Live. Thank you so much for having me. And Joanna Yu is a set and costume designer who primarily works in Ontario, but has had the opportunity to design for theaters across Canada. Joanna spends most of her time designing new Canadian plays, but occasionally designs musicals, Shakespeare classics uh, for dance and opera. Uh, Joanna, welcome to the Title Block Live. Thanks. Happy to be here with everybody. Awesome. And then as usual, Connor Moore is a Vancouver-based set, lighting, projection designer, uh, and he is going to take over the interrogation. Connor, uh, welcome back to the Title Block Live. And thank you, everyone, for joining me to talk about costume design this week. <sighs> I'm glad I picked this week to wear my sweatpants at the costume panel. Uh, where do we start, Connor? Uh, thank you, Michael. I also I put on my best black hoodie for this evening as well. Um, so... Uh, Thank you to all the panelists for being on here tonight. And thank you to everyone watching on YouTube. Uh, submit your questions on the YouTube chat and Michael will get them to us. Uh, we also have a list of questions that I harangued a group of Vancouver designer, costume designers today into helping me generate. So thank you to everyone who sent in those questions. Uh, our first question is going to be, why did you decide to become a costume designer? And I'm gonna ask each person in turn so that we get your voice. And then after that, we'll just do a free-for-all. So starting with you, Dana, why did you decide to be a costume designer? Well, um, I am a failed actor. So uh, <laughs> I went to uh, York University, <clears throat> sorry, thinking that I would be on the stage and quickly realized that is not my forte. Um, and wanted to keep my hands in theater, so I ended up going into the production department where I did everything else, like stage management to um, set painting to everything, and got into the design program later on and uh, had never done anything in wardrobe, and my thesis ended up being a costume design. And being put in um, that area, something clicked. Uh, I left... When I graduated, I ended up working in a bunch of different wardrobes. I worked at the Shaw Festival and for the um, Seamless Costumes. And at that point in my career, I had done a couple small gigs, but nothing um, significant uh, design-wise. And I ended up getting into the assistant design program at Stratford and um, with my costume background. Um, uh, that was a good fit for me, and I developed my craft from there and started designing at Stratford and elsewhere across Canada and in the States. 
Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Sean, you're up next. Why did you decide to become a costume designer? Because of Dana Osborne. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, partially because of Dana. Um, I, I, I think my story is a lot the same. I went to York. I, I wanted to be a performer and um, changed my mind uh, after first year. And then sort of progressed in set and lighting at the time. Um, I always was really interested in wardrobe, but I was, I was totally afraid of being just a gay costume designer. Um, so I, I fought it for a really long time, to be honest. Um, as much as I wanted to do it, I didn't want to be that stereotype because um, I grew up in a small town and it just didn't didn't sit well with me. And uh, I went through the design program at York. I went to the Canadian Opera uh, Company as a prop builder um, and then assisted at Canadian Stage and got to Stratford, assisted there. My first show was with Miss Osborne. Um, and uh, I really, really um, sort of had that internal struggle where I said, you know, screw it. I, I want to do what I want to do and I want to enjoy uh, my craft. And so I started really trying to um, build up a costume, you know, portfolio and experience. And uh, through people at Stratford and Alex Dolgoy, uh, I, I really learned the craft and, and then just you know, pursued it afterwards and really fought to, to uh, put my name out there uh, as someone who wasn't just a set designer, but someone who also excelled at uh, wardrobe. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, Ming, you're up next. Why did you decide to become a costume designer? Um, it kind of happened by accident. Uh, I started working at a theater or a, a costume rental company um, when I was in college. I studied uh, film and integrated media at OCAD. Um, and while I was working part-time, I eventually started doing um, the rental pulls for the regional theaters. So it got me a lot of that kind of, um, sorry, hands-on experience um, working with costumes and pulling costumes from stock. Uh, and eventually somebody asked me if I did stuff outside of the costume rental place that I worked at. and um, it turned into a full-time job for me. So it, it was an accident, but a happy, very happy one. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Sabrina, why did you decide to become a costume designer? So a little bit like uh, Dana, I started out um, acting, but it was only when I was a teenager, just in community theater projects. And uh, one of the directors who I worked with quite a bit, uh, uh, saw me just I guess drawing a bunch I, I used to have a sketchbook with me all the time and I drew characters and costumes and whatever came from my imagination and she saw this and asked if one day I would ever want to you know do costumes for this community theater show and so I said sure not really thinking anything of it and then when I started doing like you know they had like these four by eight risers that you would paint for the set and then uh, a stock of stuff. I started uh, uh, doing costumes for the shows and, and really something clicked with me that, that this is what I was supposed to be doing and, and this is an art, art form I really enjoyed. But even then, I, I, a little bit like Sean, I fought it quite hard and I was in the sciences and it wasn't until years later that I decided 
that because I just kept doing all these community theater shows for fun and then I started getting paying jobs for doing it and started being hired to work in costume shops in Victoria that I realized maybe it was a career for me. So I, um, I found out that Mary Kerr was teaching at the University of Victoria and she is someone whose art I grew up with as a kid going and seeing her ballets and, and, and being exposed to her work. Uh, in a variety of different places. And that's actually what, what really clicked for me is when I found out I could study with her. Uh, I did that and then immediately actually just started getting professional jobs in Victoria just because I, I had a reputation in a small town. Cool, well, thanks so much for that. Uh, Carmen, how did you decide to become a costume designer? Well, I, I have a, an undergrad degree in art history um, back when I was in Mexico and I had one theater class where we were supposed to go to to see theater every week and then review the show and that just yeah, I just got fascinated with the whole design aspect of, of the theater in that class so then after after I finished art history I applied to UBC here in Vancouver and and connected with Alison Green and got accepted and, and that was it I started just uh, you know basically making all my connections in theater in town through UBC. Wonderful, thank you for that. Uh, David, why did you decide to become a costume designer? Um, well, it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> it was a mistake, I think, um, initially. Uh, I grew up in Saskatchewan in the 70s, uh, and, and at that time it was quite, a, can we call it a prosaic existence with not a lot of uh, fabulousness around and so I became really interested uh, when I was a kid in old movies and I got obsessed with it and I started getting every movie star biography that I could get out of the library and I started memorizing the best actor the best you know picture from 1941 blah 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 um, and at the same time, uh, Carol Burnett was on, and I was obsessed with all of that. And of course, Bob Mackey designed all those brilliant costumes. Um, but I don't think it occurred to me then that it was a job. Um, I don't think I thought it through. Like, I remember I used to sit in the basement for hours with my colored doodle pad and drawing pictures, and I drew a picture <laughs> once. I was probably, I don't know, nine. And I drew a picture of Scarlett O'Hara's barbecue dress from the beginning of um, uh, Gone with the Wind. And I showed my mother and I, I like, she's like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, great. This is great. Um, but it didn't really occur to me that it was a thing until many years later, um, I kept going back and forth between um, working on pursuing theater and pursuing visual art. And when I was doing one, I always missed the other. Uh, and I went to England for a year uh, on scholarship to study art. Uh, and I ended up in the theater for most of it. And then I came back to Canada and I started working at a dinner theater uh, when I was in the shows. And the sets were terrible. Like they were just terrible and I'd bitch about it. And they'd say, well, do something then if you don't like it. And I said, well, I, okay, I will. And I did the first one for free. And then they paid me for the second one and they paid me for the third one. And, and then finally someone said, you know, you can study this, you know? And I'm like, really? <laughs> I didn't have a clue. So I uh, applied to the U of A and I got my 
degree there and um, worked for three years after university and then got a, an assistantship at the Shaw Festival. And I've been in Ontario ever since. But really, I, it's, it's Bob Mackey and MGM's fault that I'm a costume designer. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Nancy, why did you decide to become a costume designer? There we go. Well, um, I was sharing this. I went through art school, basically, three, a few different art schools. And uh, I always shared studios with a bunch of different people that had, came from different disciplines, from uh, you know, architecture to designing for theater or building costumes for theater and painting. Anyway, there are all sorts of different people in every studio I was in. It was always the same group of people that kind of carried through in some way. And so we always used to help each other. And so I would help um, the costume designers build their costumes. And, and I liked building because ever since I was a kid, we were always making things in our basement. And both my parents were always, always building stuff or painting things. Or, and there were four kids in the family and all of us made things or, you know, baked things or whatever. But... Um, Anyway, so I, I got into uh, doing a lot of sewing and building proppy things for costumes or doing a bunch of dyeing because I liked dyeing. I, during art school days, I would dye paper pulp and make images from dyed paper pulp. And uh, so it was already, had already started in art school, I think, my interest. But um, anyway, and then eventually I just started working um, at the Playhouse Theater, doing millinery and uh, dyeing and accessories. And um, anyway, just sort of one thing went to the next. And I had another friend who was managing a dance company and they needed some costumes built. So I did that. And um, yeah, just one thing. I started, I've, like Ming, I kind, of, I kind of just sort of fell into it as the jobs progressed. And I've actually, I just really liked the people that I was actually working with for in theater and dance. I just loved, um, you know, we used to throw a lot of parties at our house every time I was together with another group of people and, or other people would have parties and it just seemed like an awfully good group of people to me. And uh, I was, I just became quite happy in the situation of working in theater or working in dance or whatnot. Anyway, and then eventually I, well, the design work for dance just sort of crept into designing for theater and then designing for opera and, and then designing for film. I started doing film because um, the first director I worked with um, went through the film roster of designers and wasn't happy with anybody. And then finally I met her. And then because of my theater background, um, she hired me and um, she liked that about me was anyway. So that was also how I got into doing film work as well. So that's, there's more to the story, but that's it. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, April, why did you decide to become yeah. a costume designer? Um, uh, I, I kind of fell into it too in some ways. I was obsessed with set design and um, 
architectural drawings from the time I was about 10. Um, my dad was a drywaller and I used to flip through architectural drawings and he gave me a, a drafting board, actually not different than the one behind David's head um, as a kid and uh, said, so start drawing and start start making interior spaces and stuff like that. So I did that uh, as a kid, but then um, when I went to, I went to Italy um, on student exchange when I was 18 and studied at an art school for a year. Um, again, it was an accident. Uh, small town Saskatchewan kid goes to Europe, knows nothing really about um, fine art other than making paper turkeys from art class in small town Saskatchewan. And uh, then, you know, took drawing classes, took life drawing, took architecture, history, took philosophy class in Italian. I didn't do very well, but, um, and then uh, decided I loved this and I felt like I had an affinity for it and could do it. So then I went to design school at University of Alberta um, and uh, thought I'd be doing set design. And when I was hired at Stratford, I was hired to be a costume assistant first. Um, and I'd done a lot of lighting design as well in school. So I had sort of uh, you know, uh, knowledge of all three areas and costume design fit. It was a good fit. I assisted Charlotte Dean a whole bunch, had a great time, um, at Stratford Festival doing that kind of work. And then, um, you know, did a lot of my own designing at the same time. So I sort of spent half the year assisting and half the year not, and did some work with the Canadian Opera Company and Danny Lynn. Um, and then went away to Alberta to do my master's and got hired to teach at the University of Calgary. And so now I'm teaching and designing and, and have been doing that for about 10 years. Wonderful, thanks for that. And Joanna, why did you decide to become a costume designer? Uh, sounds like a lot like everyone else, uh, kind of stumbled into costume design. Um, I had started out in theater as a set and lighting designer and had gone to uh, York also um, and wanted to be a set and lighting designer uh, from when I got there. Uh, and I was really lucky. I went to an arts high school that happened to have a, a theater roadhouse next to it. So I kind of spent my high school years uh, doing co-op programs as a theater technician. So I met a lot of really neat people and thought theater was uh, totally my bag because I was at the arts high school as a visual artist and uh, I didn't love it all the time, but the the collaboration part of theater was really awesome. So anyway, I, uh, I went into theater through that route uh, as a set and lighting one and then I ended up at Stratford and uh, maybe like two years out of university and uh, they had given me a show to assist um and it was mostly costume design and i wasn't interested in it at all i didn't know anything about costumes i had no interest in it and uh, i guess through the next four seasons of me assisting and dana was actually one of the last people i assisted there uh, i kind of fell into doing more costume stuff so people started nudging work sean actually had a few shows that i took uh that he passed along um and so that was just one thing to another. And now I do a bunch of costume and set stuff as opposed to set and lighting. Awesome, thank you for that. So I'll throw the next question out to the group and feel free to all unmute yourselves and just jump in wherever you want to. So the next question I have is, how do you begin the design process for a show? And especially, how does what happens in the rehearsal hall affect your design and the design process? 
That's a heavy question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. I mean, uh, again, I think we all start with uh, visual sources or an inspiration from the director. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I start. Mm -hmm. um, Nancy, maybe you want to roll at this one? <laughs> well, well, definitely. You know, we're very influenced by our directors and choreographers and, um, you know, sometimes it can start with a conversation in the kitchen with somebody that you're about to work with and they have this idea and you think, oh, wow, and then you go on from there and um, ideas start to um, come together. And then, of course, there's Pinterest and there's all sorts of other means of inspiration visually. Um, but I find um, you, know, you can only have so much of the visual gathering before you have to start drawing. And I find when I start drawing, then things really start to fall into place. And because uh, so many ideas come from just a little accident of a pencil or, um, and I, I do prefer pencil and paper myself. Yeah, me too. One of the mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I just find the whole computer process quite stifling and, although I've never mastered it, so I shouldn't really judge it. Because um, actually, there are some really fine computer drawers that I know of, like Ken McDonald. Yeah, I know, I can hear Ken yelling <laughs> yeah, at the screen I know. right now. Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he can design things from the bathroom, <laughs> whatever. But, um, but I like to sit at a desk and... Um, you know, use paper and pencil and, um, you know, just meet back and forth with whoever I'm working with and the other collaborators as well. Mm -hmm. um, like it's yeah. so important to um, chime in with them as well because there's lots of other, you know, little ideas of what the lighting might be and kind of pull that in. And yeah. there's a show I did recently um, in uh, the, for it's in Zurich. Well, actually, it was going to be in Zurich. It was op going to open May the 1st. But I pulled in some of the ideas from lighting into the pattern that we developed for these skirts that they were, or apron-y skirt things that the dancers were wearing. Is that for and, Atlas? Um, anyway, there's lots of different, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, Atlas. It was just Atlas, amazing. Atlas Angels. Atlas Angels, yeah. Right. Just such a yeah. fantastic yeah. show. Oh, my God. It's um, also the uh, process thanks. of starting but, after the set design, too, a little bit. I mean, that one had such a, the yeah. production design was so strong, too, right? Yes, yeah. Well, we all kind of started around the same time, but there are definitely some ideas yeah. forming between Jay, who's designing the set, and um, Tom designing the, the lighting that was, oh, had come so out beautiful. of some of the other shows that we'd also done together. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is um, when you work with the same group of people, a lot of ideas flow from one to the next and you don't quite get to really develop something in one show, but you can really go at it for the next one or the yeah. you know, two or three down the line, yeah. which is great. Yeah, I, I, I really like working with the lighting designer early on. I know that that's not everybody's first go-to, but for me, uh, particularly if you're going to use certain colors in the wardrobe, uh, coordinating with them uh, and interpreting, um, let it, just letting them know what you're doing so they don't screw it up with their gels is really <laughs> important. Um, yes. And uh, in terms of like rehearsal process, I think you, 
I don't always get a lot out of rehearsal process except for practicality. Uh, I find that I get more out of the fitting room because there's way more um, influence from the the actors in the fitting room about how they've discovered character or what they want to do or what, you know, most of the time, Dan, I'm looking at you, what their insecurities are. <laughs> oh yes, well, there is that. <laughs> you know, you, you have to, you have to kind of, you have to feel out. Like, I mean, that that is a big thing I learned from Straff, or a big thing I learned from Miss Valsborn over there uh, was um, learning about people's individual body insecurities and how to address mm. it, and making sure that your costume mm-hmm. is still reflective of your concept or period or whatever but still covers that part of their elbow that they don't want anyone to see mm-hmm. yeah, where they put their hands first in a fitting where you watch the actor and they will automatically mm, yes. take you to the spot that they are vulnerable so yeah. i mean that's the other side of the process yeah. is i think if you don't honor what is happening with the actor and their character process your costume will never complete right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all had that tell. moment where you can do as much work as you can, but if they can't own it and take it to mm-hmm. stage, it's, yeah. it's, it won't be there for you. Oh, yeah. and, they, and they won't wear it. When, yeah. No. And you can tell in a second when they respond positive, positively or negatively to the thing that they put on. You can yeah. tell mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I always, find that, oh, so oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I always find that, uh, when I get into the room for first day of rehearsal and I'm kind of giving my design spiel or I'm, I'm kind of giving the pitch, um, I always try and leave the door open a little bit for actors to engage with me so that they have the permission to, to know that they have the agency and the fitting room to do that. Because uh, it's really important. I think I can only really evolve the story of the characters to a certain point, And then I really need the human bodies to take it the rest of the way. So I really want mm-hmm. them to discuss the things. And sometimes those things are, you know, actor human body things. And then other times they're character, uh, character um, questions. So I like to challenge and, and continue that conversations from both sides. Because sometimes a lot of people can't see the difference either. And you kind of want to uh, wade through the conversation and get through it. And really, it's exactly what Dana said. Like, if I, I have no interest in maintaining my design if they're going to get out there and really hate mm-hmm. it. No. I'll never sell the story that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I won't succeed. So that's really kind of a bummer. But it's great when you can get them on board yeah. And yeah. in the first mm-hmm. fitting or get them excited by the rendering. You have a, the conversation in that fitting about how where you're coming from with mm-hmm. that actor. Maybe they give you stuff back but they we mm-hmm. it's always great when they take what we've talked about in the fitting back into the rehearsal hall so i see the mm-hmm. relationship between yeah. the fitting room and the rehearsal hall being really really symbiotic and being it's all about communication going back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. yeah i i, I for I recently, me sorry no for me the drawing is more like a, it's like a map guide it's like the research and my guide to get into that costume idea but Mm -hmm. the real work I guess for most of us really happens in the fitting room and in rehearsal right and I think just like you uh, John I also feel like if we don't leave any flexibility for the actor to have an input in it it's kind of it's chances are it's just going to be an imposed design that it's not going to give them the chance to to extend to have that body extension that they so much um, need for their work Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I recently did a show um, where the rehearsal process was uh, very challenging 
for the company. Um, so half of like the beginning of my fitting time was boosting them. You know, it was like, yeah. I, I needed them to, to be happier so that I could get them into what I got them into and wanted to impress them. And, and they always left really happy and excited. And it, it was, it was a really bad pattern because the director started sending problem actors to me to cheer them up. Um, because, um, it just, it was such a, it wasn't the, the most positive work environment that, that on that show. Um, and, um, and they felt like a million bucks when they left the fitting room because I, I was really, I was really channeling my inner Osborne and taking care of like their needs and uh, <laughs> what they needed and, you know, and, and I think that, you know, it's really important to, um, if you have a strong vision and if you have uh, a costume that might make someone feel a bit vulnerable to have that early conversation with them outside of the fitting, I've taken yeah. people, I've yeah, taken, yeah, yeah. taken people mm-hmm. for brunch. I've called yeah. them on the phone and said, Hey, I really want to shave your head. Like, are you good with this? Like, you know, and mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta sell them the idea. And uh, yeah. I don't know. Especially I, if you're dealing with anyone that has a, that you know has a eating disorder or any sort of history in that way, approaching it way before you get to the room um, yeah. is, mm-hmm. I yeah, find, definitely. is really important. And also, th- there is the other side of it where sometimes when you're saying the director is sending people to you, there are times where the director keeps sending you back with a costume note and it's not actually about your costume. It's actually about, they can't get the actor to the spot they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all had those moments where the, mm-hmm. you know, the wig changes color eight times or the, you're like, I, you know, you're right. tap dancing your butt off, but it, it's, <laughs> it's something not to do with, not the costume's fault, right? And we can't solve it. And we're trying really hard. I mean, that's another, you know, that can happen on the other side where, uh, we've all, you know, I've certainly had that a few times. So. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like a prop note. I often say, is, is the prop wrong or did they forget their lines? to support that though and to help out with those problems actually for me uh, 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 all of these issues which we've all experienced and are real (laughs) um goes back to the beginning of the design process i didn't i didn't hear anyone talking about the library which actually is where i start out Mm -hmm. yeah when i get my script the first place i hit is the library and books and documentaries on whatever the subject is whether it's a time period or a philosophy that i don't know anything about yet I get as much of that uh, uh, into my system as possible before I start drawing so that then, and I'm sure all of us do this, so that then we have those tools to help with the the fitting room, which is what I would call the rehearsal process as well. It mostly happens in the fitting room. It's it's like our our rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I use the picture yeah. files a lot in Toronto. I don't know if anyone's still using the picture files besides me, but um, at the Metro Reference first. Library. Oh, yeah. You can find some yeah. crazy stuff there. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's great. such a great space to hang out in too. Mm-hmm. Just people watch at the <laughs> at the metro. I think there's something about being in the yeah. fitting with the craftsperson as well. So when you're in there with a really um talented cutter, they hold a a knowledge mm-hmm. of of kinesthetics and mm-hmm. body shape and how to achieve something um that no one else holds that knowledge there's there's a specific uh set of of um a specific set of knowledge that that cutters hold um in terms of shaping Mm -hmm. fabric onto bodies and i experienced Mm -hmm. this really strongly when i worked on 
on slime at Banff because we were trying to also build electronics um, and wearable lights into a lot of the costumes and um, working with, you know, um, conductive thread and conductive paint and having to think about where can we put these objects so that we're not impeding action and movement, they don't stretch, they don't, you know. Um, and so that kind of knowledge, someone like, you know, Judy Dowro, who's doing the cutting on that particular show, um, incredibly knowledgeable woman, but, but also incredibly knowledgeable about very specific things that, that I think go completely unrecognized in the pay scale of, of, of wardrobe craftspeople. Absolutely. Um, because that, that body knowledge, uh, no one else possesses and it's quite complex. I think you're right, April. You're only as good as your cutter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And your team, your yeah. entire team, whoever's yeah. touching it, sewing it, like that's the energy mm -hmm. that goes into it. So mm -hmm. um, if you can, I find also the, a few designers that I've really respected that have had a, um, a harder time are the ones that can't let go a little bit. Like you, mm -hmm. you, you do your work and you, you bring it and you join the team. It is an ensemble art. If you try and strangle that dress all the way to stage, uh, you are robbing yourself of the opportunity of all the energy and all the, the smarts that you can, you get to touch. 100%. I mean, a good wardrobe team, there's, it's sad because we don't have full wardrobe teams in most regional theaters these days, um, mm -hmm. outside of Stratford and Shaw or whatever. Yeah. Neptune has amazing wardrobe team. Yeah. And um, yeah. those ladies, I mean, uh, they have taught me just as much as I learned at Stratford. And then some, uh, I mean, the amount of times I've been kicked, like, <laughs> physically kicked in a fitting for being a rod. Um, it, it's amazing, you know, and, and I, I trust, I trust them implicitly and, and, and being able to say to them, what do you think about this? Or am I wrong to go with this lace or this, like, or am I like, and sometimes I, mm -hmm. um, over-focus. I, I have a bit of ADD. I get, I get really focused on one thing that's not important. Mm -hmm. And for them to say to me, let it go. Like nobody's yeah. gonna see it. Nobody cares about that button, Sean. Like move on. Or back up. <laughs> Just back up. That's the other thing. People who do fittings yeah. like this, like that is not how the audience is gonna see it. Like back. Up. It's a film. Yeah, it's not film. Yeah, yeah. No. Lindsay Jacobs used to run the wardrobe at Citadel for years and years, and when when you were going down a rabbit hole, she would just sing. From a distance. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with a lot of different um, teams of various sizes in different theaters in Europe and also here and in Toronto. And it really, it is all about the team. And um, I know, um, like at the Paris Opera, it's a huge team of people that work there. And uh, a lot of times it's um, big fancy French designers that come in to design and they never even go into the cutting room to meet anybody or have tea with them or um, they're just like totally hands off and just sort of go to one or two fittings and that's it. And um, I just find that's really, I don't know, I'm, I'm totally in there myself and I, I love to actually be involved in with everybody and to have a lot of um, conversation with the cutter and with the sewers and to see how things are 
getting put together and um, and also mm-hmm. at the end of it when it's all done to actually uh, do a little bit of painting and breakdown and um, I always hang out in the dye room the dye shop like everywhere I go to work mm-hmm. the dye shop is always my favorite landing spot because um, for me it's always important to build in um, just a lot of like a backstory to the costume even if it's for for dance or whatever there's always a backstory to everything you create mm-hmm. and that's what makes it more real and uh, anyway so I find the different teams of people that you work with along the way in different places um, it's always a sort of similar personalities and similar people similar skills and whether it's a small little theater, there might be a cutter that's fantastic and the best cutter you've ever known. Or if you work in a big place, they could have some really bad cutters as well. Anyway, it's um, it all comes down to the some people theaters don't and the even teams. Have cutters. Mm-hmm. They're pulled together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's us. <laughs> yes. Nancy, <laughs> can I ask you a quick question? the Sure. Nancy, do you do you think um, that the pro- what you described as the process of of the French designers is that are they coming from a place where my sketch is the thing and is and and not willing to engage in a dialogue about what that sketch is and then that mm-hmm. it has to look like that and that's it or like where do you think that that kind well, of approach comes from? Well. Maybe- Mainly it's like there's designers that work at the Paris Opera, like Carl Lagerfeld was doing a show there just before me and Jean-Paul Gaultier was doing one later. So there are people that, you know, they're just going for the name for those particular shows and it sells tickets. Right. And those people are, but they basically don't have any time to deal with it. Well, but I don't, I can't Oops. imagine that they would be interested in the opinion of the performer either. <laughs> With, you know, <laughs> no, because it's they and the performer, they, yeah, they build for a body, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure the fit model that the uh, the staff at the Paris Opera gets in <laughs> to actually fit for that person, I'm sure, is like the perfect, the perfect body, and the you know will look the best in the costume and. So Whatnot, sorry, but you're telling me that they don't even fit the actor who's going to wear it. It's going to be it's some other stand-in. For no, no, the- no. It's no the the um the one show that I was that I'm referring. It was a one that Carl Lagerfeld was doing, and it was a big ballet that involved the entire company, and uh, so he would have fit the the prima ballerina and the top ballet male dancer. And a few others, I'm sure. Right. You know, who knows? But, um, yeah. yeah, I think I'm sure he would have fit the actual person, the actual costume. Right. Yeah, cu- culturally, I think uh, we we spend oh. a lot more time with our actors in Canada than other places. I mean, having just worked with tailors in India, it was really weird to be able to like go there, drop off fabric, give instructions, and then come back three days later and just pick up the garments. Like that was it. Like that was wow. the, yeah. the, the context of our engagement. And, and that was normal. I was working right. with people who do this all the time. Um, and I mean, 
it was amazing work. Tell me about it. But uh, it was right. it was really weird to not go back and see a prototype. It was really weird to not go back and see a mock-up or uh, be able to give notes. It was just sort of like you had 10 minutes to, you know, describe what you want, sketch it out on a napkin, all the like, this is my neckline, this is my seam, this is it. And then you hand it over and you, you hope for the best. Right. Wow. Were those traditional garments? So, so how did it... Like uh, so, yeah, no, I would say 75% of them were traditional garments, but there was a bunch that were uh, yeah. musically inspired traditional garments, right? So uh, because it was a musical, it wasn't, it wasn't wedding wear. I, it was wedding wear, but it wasn't wedding wear, if you, if you know what I mean. Like it was trying to figure out how to make it uh, on stage um, as well as yeah. theater wear. Yeah. So like, it's like doing a, like a, a ready-made sari. So saris are just fabric that is wrapped, but trying to figure out how to do it in a way that um, can be just stepped into and put on in a quick change. Hey, Sean, how do you say gusset in Hindi? <laughs> <laughs> I had a translator <laughs> and a pencil. <laughs> this. <laughs> Do you think that people who work in theater who are not costume designers understand that added layer of emotional labor that costume designers do in terms of the interactions with performers? Mm. <laughs> not at all. I, I mean, some people, really, I think. I some people do. Yeah, some, I think some people do. It's, yeah. it's but, you know, pe you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to uh, go on again with my genderized ideas on theater. But I do feel like perhaps people who are more involved in, like, have always been involved in set and lightning and haven't really never worked in costumes could potentially not understand what it means to be in the fitting room with dealing with not only the costume and the concept, but the emotions of the actor as well. Mm -hmm. It's an intimate it's setting that's yeah. unlike anything else, right? Like when mm -hmm. you're a lighting designer, like you're, I think you're privy to seeing performances and seeing them in their raw emotional states on stage. Um, and I'm not taking away from that at all, but I think there's a much bigger dialogue between a costume designer and the actor um, because of the fitting room and, and so much one on all the one-on-one -on -one time that we get with the actor um that i you know the some set and lighting designers just don't they don't have that amount of face time mm -hmm. um so i i think like it's tricky that they are pretty understanding but i don't think they really understand it's it's an emotional investment mm -hmm. almost um mm -hmm. because you're trusting them with your costumes uh to perform I mean, in them yeah i, I think carmen you could speak quite eloquently about it. It's it is gendered work, right? We don't yeah. we don't see wardrobes full of a whole bunch of straight macho men. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. a reason for that, and and that work. Nothing personal, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I just told you about my insecurities online, and you just called me. We love sensitivity, um, but I think that the the work in the wardrobe in terms of that emotional labor, um, you know, and emotional labor being a fairly 21st century term and thinking about, you know, 
what that means when you, when you look at um, gendered work in other industries is that emotional labor is falling to uh, specific genders, um, you know, and, and uh, not necessarily related to uh, the sex of an individual, but literally mm -hmm. to attributing emotional qualities to mm -hmm. genders. And I think uh, that, you know, it's not a secret and it, it's also a negotiating point in some ways to say, you know, this emotional labor actually costs something. Um, and it takes more time. I'm sorry, it does simply, as someone who does lighting and costumes and scenery, mm -hmm. it takes more time to engage in emotional labor than it does to count the fucking gel. Um, yeah. Because there's no emotion. Gel doesn't have uh, eating disorders. Um, and so you don't, have, you don't have those same kind of problems. Yeah, I, I think you can call it what you want. I, I think say yeah. name, you name it, the more powerful uh, we become over it. I get that. I do get that, April. But mm -hmm. I would say that lighting designers are as emotionally invested in their projects as uh, mm -hmm. as a costume designer. It's, it's not about the emotion oh. of the person doing the work. It's about the emotional labor. And emotional mm -hmm. labor is I have to deal with the emotion of someone else creating work for me. Um, right. So I have to think about what state of mind is that actor in as I walk into a fitting room. And so I have to take that on. And if that actor, you know, doesn't like the costume or throws the gloves back at me or, you know, I don't know how many times as an assistant designer at the Stratford Festival, the ego stroking was part of the job. Um, so, you know, um, that's emotional labor. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. the lighting designer isn't invested in their work. I bet they are. Um, but they certainly don't have to do that. You know, the, the Lico's not going to throw the lens at them and say, fuck off. But I find, though, designing costumes actually is actually one of the most interesting aspects of melding together everything in a show because you're, you're putting a visual... <laughs> to the performance and it's a I always find it an honor to actually take that on if you're working with a director or choreographer who's really great and you believe in and and you have a lot of fun collaborating with there's nothing better than actually taking on designing the costumes for that show mm -hmm. and to actually emotional fun too right like oh yeah no it's really really great like it's um like I couldn't imagine doing any other part of making theater other than doing the costumes and aging the costumes to make them more real and making them just the right color and the shade to bring out any aspect of the character or emotion that um, might be needed to help support that actor's performance. And then to, you know, pull back or bring up, depending on the actor, like what they're capable of bringing to the stage, if they can handle something that's um you know more dramatic then that's fantastic but if they can't you have to sort of pull them back a bit and anyway it's it's fun kind of playing with that balance on the stage through costumes and it's um anyway, it feels quite powerful as far as a participant in the process goes 
I also, uh, lastly, on just like emotional and input and output, I think that uh, maybe, I don't know how everyone else feels about this, but for me, uh, recently, because of a lot of the work I do, uh, it tends to be new Canadian plays, and uh, I'm finding that the, the stories that I'm designing for, uh, especially with costumes, the lens has sort of widened recently, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of honored with the opportunity to represent a lot of different communities that have been in the margins before or are kind of like finally coming into the light. So I feel like the emotional labor that is, uh, that I hold is actually more just a really awesome, uh, like Nancy said, an, an honor, but also like a really uh, important responsibility, I think, and mm -hmm. as far as giving to the, to the theater community or the artistic community, because the, the community is just bigger now in a different way. Um, so I really enjoy that challenge, but sometimes it's, uh, it's fucking scary because <laughs> I, I do feel like I'm holding a lot of responsibility and I don't want to let people down. Uh, but it's also, you know, storytelling. So there's a lot of uh, liberties, but there's, you know, the more, the more stories you tell that are closer to um, real people and the more authentic um, these people look on stage, I think that that responsibility gets bigger. Mm -hmm. And I really like that challenge, but uh, it's also a legit challenge. <laughs> yeah, 100%, Joe. I, 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 like, I, I freak out every time I'm given a, a show that is multicultural and that I'm trying to uh, learn that culture. I'm trying to learn the accents of uh, their fabrics, of their uh, how they wear their garments, what is uh, traditional appropriate. Um, it, yeah, it's super scary. And, and April, I'm sorry, I do apologize. Uh, I agree with you. We, we carry, as designers, we carry a lot of secrets uh, from that fitting room. We know everybody's insecurities. We know everybody's waist size. Uh, we know everything and we, and we do carry that. We carry that like throughout our lives, right? Uh, I mean, and those are the actors that come back to us two, three years later and are comfortable with us in a fitting room because we know uh, how to address those insecurities. Like we, we're, we're like gatekeepers of secrets and uh, we all know I'm not the best secret keeper, but uh, in terms of that stuff, I, I tend to hold it close. Yeah, we're also psychologists, right? And I guess that's part yes. of the emotional labor is, is that we have to like get a reading of the room and be really careful about our words and how we interact and how we, where do we touch and all of that. Like it, that takes skill and, mm -hmm. and that skill just gets learned over time too. But it's an, it, it's an extra mm -hmm. skill other, other than the talent of being able mm -hmm. to use color and fabric and talk with the cutter, right? Yeah, and it's not about us. That's the other thing too. Is um, as a costume designer, I'm sure all of you like you. I don't want you to go to the show and go, "Oh, you can tell that all the design has different people doing it, right?" You want it to look like one cohesive thing, one being, one um, one solid image or whatever it is too so you you need to you need to not exist you need to be able to pull your ego out and shove it down the garburetor or whatever like you're you're not there it's not about you i think i think sometimes the biggest compliment is when you you feel really great about what you did but nobody comments on the costumes that's actually <laughs> one of the biggest compliments because it's actually you've just made something that's real and people haven't even noticed that there are costumes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, of course it's always nice to get a compliment, but. 
we have a, a good question from the YouTube chat from Michelle Cutler, which is, I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on body diversity on stage. Has it changed throughout your career in different places? Is there a way for costume designers to help advocate in this area? Um, the only advocation we can do is is making the actor feel awesome, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, we want every shape, we want every we want everything. Like, um, yeah. so we're there to support. Um, yeah, I would say that in my, in my case, it has definitely changed. Oh, sorry, April. Oh no, it's okay. Go ahead. Um, no, the only thing I want to say about it is that for the longest time, at least when I started working in Vancouver, like it seemed like the um, like the main thing that I was called to accomplish is make somebody look lean. And I am so I am so against that right now. Like every now and then when I receive comments about like, oh, that wasn't very flattering on the actor. I just go like, what? What is flattering anyways? Like, what does it mean? How? Um, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm realizing that it's slowly changing, at least in our community, but I suppose still about eight or nine years ago, it was about how do you make a person look taller and lean, give them platforms, give them spanks, give them whatever. And I just don't think that has anything to do with character anymore. And it's really unfair. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think Michelle has a really good question. And I think we should be advocating as much as we can, can in, in the community. Carmen, I think you're right. We do see different shapes coming in a way that we also see different skin tones coming yeah. and different um, uh, ages also. Like um, there are more, uh, I see a lot more middle-aged women coming to the stage than I, than I saw in my early career. And um, I think that there's a difference in, in how they're perceived now too. Um, but we can advocate by making sure directors know that we can costume anybody. But it's really, you know, I've had directors who've said, well, we could do this person, we could do this person. And, you know, I've said, mm, you know, and they're like, is there, is, can you, can you tell me if the body shape is easier to costume? And it's like, really, it's not about the body shape. Like, who do you want on the stage? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's the talent. It's the, you know, who, who do you want in that character? Yeah. Um, because we, we should be able to clothe anybody, right? Um, especially mm -hmm. if you've got a team of cutters that can cut to any shape. Um, and even if you've got one head of wardrobe who does some cutting and some, you know, the difficult body might be the one that you have to spend the money on, but so what? Mm -hmm. And you can order. There's another way. For God's <laughs> <laughs> there is another way that you can advocate not only for body shapes, but for, like you say, people at different skin tones, different heights. And it's actually when, when you're designing your costume plates, especially if you have a large group of people to just, show some diversity in any of those plates even if you're doing a paper project and you're pitching mm -hmm. things to artistic directors or uh, other uh, uh, directors authors uh, playwrights that you want to work with is show that on the page I, I can't say how heartbreaking it was to me a few years ago i had a professional actor come to me and say it's the first time she'd ever seen her hair drawn on a costume plate she was yeah. a black woman and she was used to seeing uh, uh, either no skin color so just like whatever the color of the page was and some other hairstyle normally her hair straightened and I, and i was mm. the first person who had drawn her hair on a costume plate that, that was heartbreaking you know she'd been working for like mm. she had a career of a dozen years and and for someone to see that the, for the first time 
you you don't ever want to go through that like just be no, aware but, that uh, the, the Canadian theater community is made up of people from all across Canada which includes every nationality mm -hmm. you know uh, from indigenous people and Inuit people mm -hmm. who were here before any settlers then any a, everyone from around the world has settled in Canada mm -hmm. at one time or the other so show that when you know when you're doing your work mm -hmm. that's a really good note and it's in unforgivable that if you know the casting mm -hmm. or or if you just have names find out what color yeah. the face is or yeah you know like that i just i mm -hmm. that should never happen yeah i think that's one of the first things i do is actually look online to see who it is mm -hmm. and yeah. i i take a screenshot of their face and i try and incorporate that face and the skin yeah. tone in their hair um into my sketch yeah and it's i, think, I enjoy yeah. that part because once I once think, you start with the face then it actually leads into the rest of the costume it really helps with the design of the whole piece it's just totally. knowing who I it is and i think a lot of young designers forget that the sketch is a selling tool for you to the actor as well as the director mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you have made an yeah. attempt to to reflect them as actors and as people mm -hmm. and as them approaching the character that gets you yeah. a, a long way in your relationship with that actor yeah oh, yeah. yeah david i agree yeah. with you i think that was uh, that was a question on designers guild recently yeah. from a student yeah. who was asking whether faces were important um faces in extreme detail may not be important but definitely skin tone definitely hair definitely mm -hmm. things that um I have redrawn sketches because sometimes you get, you, you know, you draw a show well in advance of uh, complete casting mm -hmm. and then you get the casting and you find mm -hmm. out it's a person of color or you find out something else uh, that they're a person um, who maybe isn't the size that you drew. Uh, so you adjust, you, you redraw, you redraw mm -hmm. so that well, they don't walk into a first day and see it on the wall, the rehearsal hall and feel mm -hmm. completely unconnected to that sketch. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not fair to um to to put them in that position to make them feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable well as carmen was saying the sketch is the map it's the map to your whole process and if the map isn't quite correct at the beginning you have to correct the map as you go along and it really helps everybody in the mm -hmm. room to actually see the what's happening and to help communicate to everybody in the room in the rehearsal hall and to everyone in the, your team to uh, help direct the whole show. And as uh, Dana was saying too, like you want everything to kind of feel like it's part of the same world. And uh, anyway, that map, uh, the initial map is very important. To make and I find happen. having it in the fitting too, like sometimes oh, yeah, absolutely. it's stuck in a fitting yeah. and some, someone's forgotten it or something. But if I get stuck and there's mm -hmm. something about it there and you can do a little bit of comparison or mm -hmm. something about, because you start to you start to feel your scenes when you're drawing it, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. that can help. But I want, yeah. Anytime yeah. I get super stuck, I go back to the drawing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Things may have changed hugely, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, there will be something there that absolutely like, goes back. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Constant reminder of your direction, your path. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes you draw things so far in advance that by the time you get to the fitting, it's like, what did I draw? Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's nice to have that reminder to look at it and be like, oh yes, I want the theme to be here. I want this trim to be there. That's how I drew it, and 
I, you know, I'm right. That's how I wanted it in the first place. So it, it having the sketch right. there, I think is absolutely important yeah. for, for the actor as well. Yeah. Um, and the rest yeah, of the team. I think another thing that, that young designers forget is that the attitude and the dy dynamism of the figure that you draw for that character, for that costume, for that scene is really important and really helps sell your sketch. So maybe you have to do a line drawing for the cutter of where your seams really are. But if, mm -hmm. if, you, can, if you can master um, some sort of dynamic movement in, your, in the figures that you draw, it, it, I, I just feel like that really is part of my work as the designer of that character and of mm. those clothes. Like, and it sh really shows that you know what the actor has to do in that costume and you know what the play is about. You know what the, sh what, you know what the show has to do. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I, just, mm -hmm. I think it reflects mm -hmm. your understanding yeah. of what it is that you're all working on together. Yeah, but also if you are young though, like I was, I was very unhappy with my drawing ability for many, many, many years, even when I was professionally working. So again, it is a tool to get you there. Don't get stuck because there's nothing worse than being so upset about your work. Right. You are the artist. Enjoy it. Enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. And in a few years, that just the repetitive nature, your drawing gets like so much better than it used yeah. to be. Well, <laughs> I, I agree, style, uh, Dana, right? but I also, I still, to this day, I still feel sometimes, sometimes unhappy with my drawings, you know? It's just, but, it feels like I will never get to a point totally. where I'm going to be... I want to draw like you know, Nancy. Like, <laughs> I want to exactly. Nancy, like can I be like you? <laughs> or Alison Green or Christine Reiner, who are amazing illustrators. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I feel like I have to get over it a little bit, because otherwise but I, I will but spend I also think, all the time drawing yeah. and then yeah. Yeah. have but to I think move on, right? I think that's us getting in our own way because everyone gets freaked out. Like yeah. I've drawn the same costume 400 times and it's not the costume's fault and it's not the idea's fault. It's just the way I can't, I can't draw the thing that I need. So mm -hmm. I think you just take those opportunities to develop your style mm -hmm. and figure out how you're going to communicate things in a way that you're happy with that feels artful and you fill in the gaps with the people that need to know. <laughs> you know? And I totally exactly. steal other people's yeah. designs. Like when the shows are done and there's like extra photocopies, like I have a whole pile of like, <laughs> like hidden stash. From the yeah, but I, 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 I do that too, Dana. Yeah, I, no, I, I do that too. <laughs> I, I, I actually, oh, my, whole, my whole house is like a collection of people's. Dana, one of yours is in my bedroom. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I just let me redraw um, it, please. Let me redraw it. <laughs> um, I, I teach at Ryerson, and I and, and like only once a year, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a baby course. But it's the same thing I say to my students um, find your medium, like, it doesn't have to be watercolor, it doesn't have to be gouache, mm. it doesn't have to be yeah. perfect, like, what you, what you acknowledge. You just need to communicate your idea clearly. So, how, how can you do that? I mean, Carolyn Smith. Her, so oh my beautiful. god, like so her, beautiful. her collages are uh, like kill me. I've got like three of them in my house, yeah. I have something from everyone. Um, but like, it just it you know, you just have to find what your medium is, to, it's not gonna be somebody else's. We're what, also kleptos. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> they were gifts. <laughs> 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 
They have inscriptions. Dana, you wrote something on your I was hammered. I don't know. <laughs> it's the one with the coffee stain. <laughs> How do you communicate design ideas effectively to actors and directors who often have very strong personal opinions about fashion and style? Mm. You remind them that they hired you for a reason, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they they hired you for a reason for your eye to look at it. Uh, I mean, it has to be done with a lot of diplomacy, but costume is not fashion design. Mm -hmm. And also you are costuming a character, not an actor. So an actor may not like a certain thing just because that's not their own personal style, but you can convince them by all that research that you've done or the fact that you've been in this show for six, eight months sometimes before they get into the rehearsal hall, you can talk them through it and, and come up with, I mean, you don't always want to necessarily convince someone and hammer your idea that my idea is right and you have to do it my way into their head, but you can have a conversation, find out what the problem is and, and get around it. But it always has to do with, with talking. And not mm-hmm. arguing about it, but yeah, discussing but, it. But I, yeah. I also, I, w- I want to say that that has become more difficult for contemporary shows. Like I, I almost yeah. feel like there's a really fine line. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's way more complicated for me to try to dress somebody when I just shop for them and have a rack for them, as opposed to just creating a period costume that we are building for them, right? Mm -hmm. Because people will, I guess actors will just feel that more close to their personal style. So that Mm -hmm. is harder to negotiate in my opinion. It is harder to negotiate, especially when you're not using a cutter and when you're just shopping off of racks, which is what so many smaller shows (laughs) are Mm -hmm. these days. Um, but but it still t- comes down to having a discussion and yeah, not yeah. an argument about it. Yeah. But l- it is oh, it I is know. harder, Carmen. You're right. It's harder to do with contemporary fashion because people think mm-hmm. they know what looks good on them, and that may look good on them. But you might not want the character to look good. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. you have to explain the whys of that to mm-hmm. people, which is a discussion you're going to have in fittings anyway. Yeah, well, especially if you're working. The director also. I think part of the question was the mm-hmm. director as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I still do hold the director as the captain of the ship. So mm-hmm. if, if yeah. the director really doesn't like something and we've discussed it and they're still adamant, I do tend to do what they, what mm-hmm. they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if the actor is young and actually has worked in television or film previously to when you get them, they're usually... Um, pretty hard to work with because in film you end up having to create a store sometimes or like racks of stuff to choose from and they're if they're used to that kind of treatment then that's um and they haven't had proper theater training it can be quite dreadful but fortunately i haven't had to deal with that (laughs) maybe once or twice but i've i've by and large my experience with directors is that they're like oh you do it i don't i don't have an opinion about the clothes you i'll tell you when i don't like something but i'm not gonna weigh in that's basically been my experience Mm -hmm. yeah and i think for me if it's whether it's the director or the actor like if it's early on and the director and i are having uh differing opinions i think it always comes down uh, just like sabrina said to a conversation but just to 
refocus the conversation back to how does this help tell the story? So for me, if it's uh, an actor in a fitting room or it's tech dress or whatever it is, and they're not happy or they're physically showing some unhappiness, I tend to one, make sure that they're okay and they're safe, but also uh, revisit the conversation to just say like, if I sense that they don't like where I've gone with the costume, I tend to just ask them about the story again and we re-talk about the psychology of the character mm -hmm. and the reasons why they may have worn this, especially if it's contemporary, because the psychology net is really where uh, where it goes down a deep diving hole of like, how many people have I seen wear this on the subway? And what does that say to me about this person? And I try and uh, fit all of those reasonings into the fitting with that uh, actor, mm -hmm. that human, who will be playing that character uh, early on because that's really the only way that we can uh, be on the same page right up until opening and then they carry the show. So. So yeah, it's really, for me, it's about recircling back to how can I tell the story through these clothes and whether it's historically or whether it's contemporary, that that's what I'm really concerned about. And if their concern is something different, we should totally talk about it. But if it's, you know, a different opinion, you know, let's talk about And that's that. when your psychology right. degree comes in. Oh my God, so yeah. much people watching. Like in being in fittings, assisting other designers, like that was my favorite, was just watching how people yeah. crush, crushed fittings or how they entirely walked out defeated. Uh, it's like, <laughs> the winner though, like that's how I, that's how I learned was just like the master of negotiation was really just watching yeah. how people do it. Mm -hmm. I had my, one of my first fittings uh, a long time ago, I will not name names, but one of the most amazing moments was um, the designer turned to me. She goes, okay, we're about to do this fitting. I slept with her husband. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was so awesome. This is going to be so great. <laughs> did she, so did the actor know? Did the actor know or not? Apparently, oh. uh, so I just like. <laughs> well, they had something in common. They knew each other very well. <laughs> they have an yeah. advantage right there. <laughs> I didn't realize. Really, think we should be a we should be a like a TV show, like a cable show. Like I think like, it should just be called Fitting, and it's like oh. where it's just that one costume. <laughs> Like Paul seven Morris people panic. in the fitting room, everybody having opinions <laughs> about the costume. Yeah. I think anybody would believe it. They'd be like, no. that never I, I remember being in a fitting with Miss Osborne over there. Um, and the actor freaked out. It just freaked out, called everybody in, shut the door, started ripping clothes off, and yeah. was screaming at everyone on this little platform. <laughs> and like, there was like 10 of us in there, and tears, and like, just. All, all, I mean, at the end of the day, this person, I'm not gonna, <laughs> just wanted to I'm show like some body me after. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> it was but it crazy. was like, you don't understand me. You don't get <laughs> Oh no. It was ridiculous. Oh, it was well, so and it really funny. is like, I have told a couple younger designers coming up that that's what we've gone through for many years is not acceptable anymore. That's the other thing too. So it is that thing. Yeah. If you are in a fitting and you feel unsafe 
or it is not going in the right direction and call it. I just say, you know what, we're done and we'll revisit this and I actually just walk out now. And 100%. That's, that's absolutely, as a young designer, please, you do not need to take any of the shit that we have taken. No more. Yeah. We're done it with it. It was a different world. Yeah, it was totally. definitely a different world. So, so yeah, I, and it's it's not art. You know, you know, like we, it's not helpful. So mm -hmm. it also speaks, never forget it. Though. It also yeah, speaks totally. though to to the vulnerability of the, like I don't think that we understand how vulnerable actors feel or are. Uh, you guys would, as a lighting designer who just sees them on stage. You know, I've seen people you know, melt down on stage yeah. once, yeah. like once or twice, maybe uh, in the 10 years I was working, but not in the kind of emotional, not with the emotional stakes that occurs in the fitting room. Well, and, it is uh, that vulnerability, right? Um, yeah. Again, and another reason why I could not be an actor. Like I was like, uh -huh. I can't, yeah. can't separate my body and my mm -hmm. issues from the work. And that's, Therefore, I mean, that's the other thing about an actor. I think a great actor is someone who's prepared to be ugly uh, and unlikable. Like those are some things that some people really need to stretch to find, to believe in those parts of themselves, right? They, they have to lose some vanity. Like that, that's the thing. It's the, the, the ability to be not attractive on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a big problem. I've, I've had so many... Uh, conflicts with people where you do again it's like psychological thing it's like okay you're you're playing a villainous witch you you need to look like someone who's scary and you have to have those conversations and sometimes they just they're not willing to appear that way and and it's hard it's hard to to convince someone you have to be ugly yeah. Sorry, like this is this is not your poster show. Like yeah. this is not like your next biopic, right? Like right. you're gonna be an ugly person, and and it's right, and it and and you can embrace that, and you can make it that much better. And this could be a huge door opening for another like side of your career. Yeah. There was a really interesting thread on Facebook a couple of months ago um, that was all actors responding to this one question and it was basically um it was fitting stories like what's Ooh. or costume stories like what what was the worst basically what was the worst thing that ever happened to you and i found it really difficult not to weigh in because that wasn't it well it wasn't i wasn't invited right but it was really interesting to see how an actor would describe an ugly fitting like a bad fitting or or, or an unfortunate encounter with a designer. But to be a designer reading that, it's just really, in, you know what happened, right? And that that is their take, but you also under, understand the underlying circumstances that may or may not have been in, at play for that to happen. And it's really unfortunate that that production ended without the, the designer and the actor coming to some sort of understanding. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was a weird thing. And I, I, I wanted to respond and I didn't think it was my place. Mm. Now we all have to go back on Facebook and find this. Yeah, but I can't remember who it was. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well. It's, 
it's interesting though because if you if you do any other design discipline like i'll never forget the first time i did only a set design normally i do production design like anything tangible on stage i've done it but but the time the first time i did an, a just set design and not costumes i couldn't believe how how free i felt for so much of the process because other <laughs> there was seriously there yeah. other people we're in there taking care of everything. You're like, oh, we need something to happen over here. We'll just hire more people for that. And I was like, sir, what? You're you're just gonna hire you're more people? Um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and also emotionally, like not being attached, knowing the actors having having this relationship that with them that wasn't so personal. I I couldn't believe how how light I felt. Uh, I had a how much more fun right it was though, to David. go to the green room. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but but, uh, but um, uh, to to be used, I I was. My point is, I was actually used on the sounding board. Though some of the performers were unhappy with something happening in fittings, and they came to talk to me about it. And and I and I did give them the other perspective. And maybe because it wasn't coming from the costume designer, it was coming from me. They they uh, or maybe because I was feeling so light and carefree because I was just doing the set. Uh, <laughs> They, they they did really appreciate seeing the other side of things and they were able to appreciate it. So I think that when you do feel it's your place to step in, as you say, David, you hadn't been asked. When you do feel it though, they do appreciate a, another perspective and seeing maybe where the costume is coming from. Because no one, have you ever, ever seen a, an actor criticize a sound designer for what the sound sounds like or a prop that they're using. I, I've never experienced that in anything else. It's only in costume design when someone's I've like- I've seen it with props. Um, you yes. see it with props? props? Mm. Okay, but I'm not, on this props. shoulder, it's not it's not quite right. It's not quite right for me. That's something that that I've only seen. Okay, so fair props. A lot of people have seen in props, but not that's something I really I really see in costume. And I understand it's because this person is inhabiting this this character, and I really mm. like those discussions. I don't shy away from those discussions. I find them exciting, and and it can make the costume a lot better when when you're working together. But sometimes they've been trained to be vulnerable. Actors have been trained this their entire lives, and this is what, what they spend their time doing. So sometimes they do need someone to bring in the other perspective and see where the fitting is going or, or how a designer is trying to help them. Because essentially, we're all trying to make a good story at the end of it. That's, we're all trying to make a mm. successful show at the end of the day. Okay, quick question. Who here has made somebody cry in a fitting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you serious? Really? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, I um, thought it was just me. It was a new, <laughs> it was, it was a new unitard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think I have, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, do, let's do this. Let's do our favorite stories. This is really fun. <laughs> Before we go there, though, I want to make sure we don't. I don't want to make sure we don't slander anybody, though. These are also vulnerable <laughs> times for the actors. I wonder yeah. if it's. I wonder if it's important, though, in the future. Like this is not going to be the last panel we're going to have uh, talking about costume design. Uh, it may be interesting, uh, just as a different take, to have, you know, four or five actors and four or five designers. Oh yeah. Talk yeah. about their own experiences. <laughs> I I don't know if they want to be 
like paired up like you worked on the ballet and you were the principal dancer but yeah 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 like that <laughs> might not be a good idea but yeah. but at least to have a general discussion about what it's like oh to but it could thing. be great can we have dan shamroy <laughs> yes be dan shamroy would be an excellent he would just do the whole thing and we could just sit here yeah that's great. somebody else would have to talk and i know exactly be amazing and he'll also wear anything <laughs> yeah, I guess true. the nude unitard was that. That was Dan Shamrock. Sorry, Dan. Oh, he didn't cry. He won't cry for nude unitard. That's true. He'll fight for it. <laughs> uh, we're getting close to the end here, and I want to steal a question from a previous panel to end this with, because uh, that question had awesome answers. Which is, during this COVID nineteen pandemic. Mm. How is your creativity manifesting itself if there isn't active design work to do? Making. 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 <laughs> I've joined a, uh, a little challenge to make a, a COVID crown, <laughs> inspired oh. COVID crown with uh, Alea Hammer, who's another young designer, oh, and nice. a few other people. And... Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, another friend is getting her son to do one as well. But I have to finish it today <laughs> to photograph it. <laughs> Nothing like a deadline. It's a, big, it's a big paper mache thing with these knobs that look like mushrooms oh, wow. coming out of it. It looks like I a big I think you COVID should go class. get it, Nancy. I think you should stop. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, down, it's downstairs. <laughs> see it. we, all, we all haven't done a fitting in like 60 days. So <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> cry. You can make me cry. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been knitting a lot. And it's so beautiful. It's your oh, knitting's amazing right now. <laughs> it's pretty. Oh. It's pretty wacko. I love it. Um, but no, I haven't felt any inspiration or reason to draw, which has been a bit concerning. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm. It's manifesting through knitting. So mm. and baking lots of treats. Not as much the knitting. I baked some bread yesterday as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the garden has I never think... looked better. Oh <laughs> yes, the garden. Oh yeah, gardening. Yeah. 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 Oh, all those summer theater. People's gardens are going to be bomb this year. Yeah, yeah. everyone's going to have time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I haven't felt well. the urge to draw either. <laughs> like, yeah. like Joanna and I was actually thinking. I'm like, I should just do an exercise and mm -hmm. show just to keep this up. Um, no. Because drawing is one of those things. If I don't do it um, often, then it when I have to go back and draw something, it takes me forever. Because I'm like, oh, how do I do this? Oh, right. I can't. Oh. How do I and draw then feet I again? Just put it off. Yeah. How do I, yeah, exactly. How do I draw yeah. a nose? Yeah. Why does the I neck mean, look so funny? Like, but I feel like it's, I'm trying to manifest it into other things. Like I taught myself some embroidery. Um, yeah. uh, so I'm trying to, trying to take the time to learn things that I wanted to learn before, but just never, had the time like we do have the time but then there's some days where I have all the time in the world and then nothing happens mm -hmm. like I literally end up eating my meals and then going to bed so I think you're refilling the well though right yeah. like I think a lot yeah. of this unfortunately are burnt out yeah. Um, yeah. because yeah. we push Absolutely. so hard to make ends yeah. meet and to do this art form that I think this is a very terrifying op opportunity to clean your studio, oh. <laughs> lie on the floor and cry, watch, I'm on season 11 of RuPaul, like I'm just, God. right? I, I've watched every season plus 
I, I, I actually could quote them now. That's an embarrassing <laughs> thing. Um, but I, I've, I, you know what? I, have, I got my sewing machine out, which I haven't done in a long time. It's masks. I, I, I made some masks. <laughs> Um, they're they're a bit pornographic. They're a bit like little cod pieces, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. So my neighbors all seem to enjoy them. Um, <laughs> I had some fun fabric kicking around, and so I decided to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm trying to I, again. I like the last three days. Uh, the couch has been my occupation. <laughs> yeah, I did that for a month, and I couldn't. I, for me, it wasn't about exercising my creativity. It was, I need to be busy. I need to be doing something. So I, I took a job and I'm working six days a week and I'm working long hours in the funeral industry. I know. Wow. wow. What are you so doing I'm, in the yeah, funeral industry? What are you industry? doing, yeah. David? Well, so ironically, I, when the world fell apart, I was working on spam a lot and, and, Ironically, now I've become literally the bring out your dad guy because oh I do everything from helping with the ceremony, but you can only have 10 people at a funeral now yeah. to oh, okay. picking up unclaimed bodies at the morgue to yeah. picking oh, wow. up the embodied wow. guys and getting them to the crematorium. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have stories. Yeah. I, I want your yeah. TV show. Yeah. 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 How, is, how is this the end? Yeah. So <laughs> you must have a time. You must have to get sort of partially suited up. Like, with um, well, uh, the, the, the hospitals are being overly, well, very cautious. So, you know, when you're dealing with someone who is COVID and it's marked right. everywhere. And unfortunately what happens when someone dies of COVID is they stop being a person. They're the COVID. Mm -hmm. Right. right and it's right. and they're they're a double we, the body bags are called shrouds don't call them body right. bags <laughs> double bagged marked covid 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 the crematoriums won't take them and store them you've got to book an appointment and they go right into the mm -hmm. like it's they're they're being careful but hospitals won't let you in so you're doing mm -hmm. you're doing transfers onto your gurney in alleys and on loading docks and it's right like it's yeah. it's kind of it's very real like it's still real. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. You wear a plague doctor mask when you go pick them up? I think of it every day. I have a pattern right. for one. I'm tempted. I'm going to make one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a, yeah. I did a, uh -huh. Sorry, go ahead, sorry. David. No, no, no. I'm done. <laughs> I was going to say, I, just did, I did four weeks in a pathology elective doing anatomical, doing autopsies basically for four weeks. Amazing. <laughs> and it was uh, an eye-opening and nose opening experience no yeah. kidding oh and, and sure. do you do you did you go home at night and still have that smell like you couldn't i would go out for dinner and go oh yeah there's something in the there's something in the alley right oh. or yes, there's something oh. yeah it's a remarkable <laughs> hopefully wow. not in the restaurant yeah or there or this uh, salad there's something in the salad that is oh out God. of context like like yeah. in a different context it's something that you would absolutely they have no issue with when you associate it with those other curious yeah. things yeah it was remarkable and I, I did a lot of scene responses as well with the coroner uh for folks who are in situ so mm. yeah well and so, we do that wow. too we yeah right because you're yeah body we're the scene, first right? ones in after the coroner right. yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah 
So I guess, David, I guess everybody pretty much is getting cremated then. Um, So I know in the Jewish faith, they like to bury people within a certain period of time. And it's Um, the body and it's not burned. Well, uh, the company that I'm working for has an, they're called Eco Cremation and Funeral. Right. So, So they have an ecological bent to their business, but they do a lot of work with the Muslims. Mm-hmm. And the Muslim community want them in the ground the same day. Right. And they actually do a really kind of a beautiful thing, gravesite, where they open the casket and lift the body and take dirt from the mound and prop the body up so, it's, so he or she is facing east. Right. And then they close it up yeah. again and bury. Um, but I, I think the cremation thing is more about that's just more the direction that we are going as a society that's just a preferred method people are seeing less value in the plot and the stone and the oak Mm -hmm. casket and and all of that right but but it's not true that covid has to be um cremated it's that's not the case right i guess it does disappear after the live body is no longer live i guess after a certain time i think the risk is yeah, the risk is is minimal or or less than if they were alive. But you have to be like if you're picking up somebody who's been intubated and the thing is still in their throat. Like you've got yeah, to be right. careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, um, sorry, David's, to, sorry David's about got that. David's <laughs> got his plug in. Amazing what you're doing. David. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, Thank you, David. It's not noble. It's because I was going fucking crazy and I had to get out of the house. Right. <laughs> wow. Does anybody else want to uh, talk about any kind of work, uh, point people in a direction towards work they're working on? I'm, I'm learning to draw online so I can keep up with my grad students. Uh, yes. Wow. What does that mean, April? They're, well, everybody, all the kids these days um, draw on their iPads. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know how to do that very well. So I'm working on that so that I can help them make their drawings better. Um, cause their drawings are better when they draw on paper, but they don't want to draw mm-hmm. on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I make them draw on paper, but then they go back to doing the shitty thing they were doing on the iPad. Um, so, you know, trying to get them to like use, use the complementary color to make a shadow or, you know, yeah. like shit like that, that just makes your drawing better. So just sort of, I'm trying to figure out how to use the machine so that I can be one of the cool kids too. <laughs> and what are you using? And, and teach in the 21st century. Um, right now I'm using um, Infinite Painter on the iPad and I'm also using Concepts. And I, I really like Concepts because uh, it wasn't expensive um, to buy the whole package. And it ha- it's a vector file. So I can mm. take it into the 3D printer and I could take it into, so you could do props on it. You could do sets on it. You can do costumes on it. Mm. Um, and it's easier to scale uh, up and down because you don't lose resolution. Right. Um, but the painting bit on it takes a bit more effort because it's not meant to be a painting program. It's an mm. illustration program only. Um, uh, and a bit cartoony in terms of color. So you have to, you have to work out the layer system a little bit differently. Whereas Infinite Painter works better with the layers and sort of has more of a Photoshop kind of style to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm using what the kids use. I call them kids. They're like 26. Yeah. 30, <laughs> just like us. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm going to have a soft light. And have yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Anybody else want to plug something before we uh, duck out? <laughs> no, it's just... Um, Hang it out! That, yeah, right. I hope that one day we get to work again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, nice. The funny yeah. thing is, though, yeah. it's, I, and I always think this about lighting designers, but it's the same thing for costume designers, is that we don't ever get... All of us don't often get to work together because we do the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah these and I found myself been... watching the lighting design uh, panel thinking, well, how did you guys actually get to know each other? Which is a stupid question because I know all of you, or most of you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think it's about being the lighting design studios and the big festivals. Is it really? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Because mm. we all work in the same room. Uh, and that's the only place we work. That's right. you know, also, we're not down in the in the wardrobe. We're right. not in on at the right. paint shop, doing 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 samples and stuff. We're all in the same room doing all the work, and we're making mm. all those decisions together. And we actually have to work together. I think more closely in the festivals because they're all making a plot together, and so what my decisions on the basic right. affect your decisions on your show. So there's a lot more of that going on. Mm-hmm. But I think also ABC does a lot for designers across Canada mm. to meet. Yes, well, which is yeah. Really yeah. Cool. for sure. Yeah. yeah, and also there's cer- certain wardrobes like at Bard or at Can Stage, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of designers that cross over. Uh, well, at Shaw or Stratford as well, I'm sure. Any of the A houses mm-hmm. like yeah. Citadel too, or Theater Calgary, or Theater Calgary ATP, where you're all kind of like mm-hmm. you have the poor yeah. side and then you have the rich side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I well, just love seeing you all. Like I haven't seen half of you in forever. And, and again, yeah. it's because if you're working on a show, it means I'm not working on that show. So <laughs> I, just, you know, I, I never get to see you all. And it's, 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 it's great. Well, let's do a show where we all get one character. <laughs> yeah. We could have another yeah, workshop that like that. So You'll go away and create one, the <laughs> yeah. same Hamlet or something. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for ev- uh, everyone for joining me tonight on the show. And thank you, Connor, for leading the discussion. Um, I just want to say that uh, Kim Pertel says you're all fabulous. Oh. And uh, oh, no. thanks you all for the conversation. So thanks once again. We're going to be uh, come back, uh, you know, in a few weeks probably to have a discussion. And I'm going to try and get that fitting room conversation Fitting room, camera, uh, fitting room confessionals, maybe up. I think it'd be a really interesting yes. discussion, maybe for like. Uh, I gotta think of somebody who's like been around. Like uh, uh, you need to ask the actors, like who should be on that. Panel. Who should be on so the that panel? That's a good know. point. That's a good point. So the, I'll find four the designers actors. who are on that panel have been chosen by actors for some a, reason. A group of yeah, exactly. Mm. Just, we're, we're all setting up for a confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> Underdome. Yeah. Diego Matamoras yeah. has been waiting to see <laughs> talk to you about this one thing that you guys did together. Um, okay, well that's great. Thank you so much. I think we'll end it there and uh, don't tune in again next week, <laughs> which is a ridiculous cliche. But uh, come back next week. I think we're heading towards a video designer uh, projection Ooh. design panel next week. Yes, April. Uh, I just wanted to say um, everybody needs to go on the WSD. Uh, page and please sub- start s- your submissions. Um, we may be waiving the fee, so don't submit them yet, um, but get it started because you need to have images of a certain size and um, things like that. So please go on the World Stage Design uh, website and hmm. get your stuff ready to submit for the competition. That's oh. a great plug. Thank you so much. www.wsd2021.ca. Right. 
Fantastic. Perfect. And you can find uh, many of the uh, interviews at, or you can find all the interviews I've done for a few of the designers here on the, uh, in the uh, conversation at thetitleblock.com. Um, this will be released uh, next week, maybe, on uh, the Title Block uh, podcast feed as well, where they'll have show notes and bios. Uh, and then uh, come and join us next Thursday where we'll talk about video and projections. Uh, and then we'll cycle back to lighting design and all the other fun things and, uh, uh, and uh, fitting room confessions. That's going to happen. So thank you so much. We'll end it there. Have a great night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Good to see you. Bye. 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 Bye.